Welcome to the Lulu Logic Podcast. I'm Nick Lewis. I'm your host. Welcome back for another episode. Man, it went down in the Lulu Lounge this week. Two of my guys from last year on the BC lines. I'm glad they came through to share some laughs, share some stories. Man, we share a lot of different topics from health, working out. Why are Canadians now going more to the U.S. to play football? And can it be salvaged to stay in the CIS? Can we improve the CIS system to keep more Canadians here and still get the same quality that they would get in the U.S.? Well, we talk about that and many, many more things. Yesterday was Veterans Day, and I just want to say on here one more time, shout out to the veterans. Thank you for the freedoms that we get on a daily basis because you protect this country, not only in Canada, in the U.S. Both of my grandfathers, one was in World War II, the other, well, let me say this, Burke David Lewis was in World War II, Rufus Ray was in Vietnam and lost his life in Vietnam. So we have sacrificed. And I thank you for your sacrifice that allows me to be able to do what I'm doing today and to continue to strive to be better and strive to do more. Thank you to the men and women of all the military units. And without further ado, this is the Lulu Logic Podcast. Today's guest, as in two, are from Jackson Point, Ontario and St. Catharines, Ontario. One went to Western University and the other to Wilfrid Laurier. One won the 53rd annual Vanier Cup in 2017, drafted in 2018, and the other drafted in 2019 to the same team, the BC Lions. And I was their coach last year. Welcome to the show, the Smash Brothers. Yes, sir. <laughs> David Good, Mackey man. and Mario Villa Mazar. That's it. Welcome. Thanks for having us, bro. Yeah, Which man. I appreciate it. How many people mess up your last name, Mario? Every single person. They just call you like, <laughs> I, I just call you Villamizer. I feel like that's such a, uh, like a word, like a Villamizer is somebody that like, I don't know. You, they're just. You're the first person to turn my people. last name into a verb. They destroy people. You're the, first, <laughs> you're the first person to ever turn my last name into a verb. I appreciate that. <laughs> no, I've heard it all, man. I've heard Villamizer, Villamizer. Um, Half the time, people can't even say it. They'll just look at me. And they're like, "Can you, can you please just? I don't want to embarrass you, and I don't want to, I don't want to uh, put you in an awkward situation. Can you just tell me how to say it?" But what's the origin of that last name? I don't know. Colombian, probably. To me, you don't know. <laughs> he doesn't even know. <laughs> well, yeah, but it could come from somewhere else. It could be like Portuguese or something. For God, for all I know. <laughs> what's, what's the origin of your last name? I don't know. I was born in Colombia, but it could be anything. Two Brazilians went to Colombia, had babies. It could be Portuguese. <laughs> and had babies. In Where's Columbia. yours from, Mackie? Yeah, another Colombian. Okay, I'm very stereotypically northwestern British. British. I think. <laughs> There's red in my beard, and I'm just. My brother did one of those ancestry.com things, and he came back and he called me and said. Can you believe that we are British, Irish, and Scottish? I'm like, Kev, look at us. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no shit. See, when I tell people I'm Colombian, I get the, really? Every single time. It's, I thought you were either uh -huh. Asian or Hawaiian. 
Nope. You're you're like you a are, mix of Asian and Hawaiian. Yeah. No, he. I, I thought you were a blend of native and Indian and Italian. So nice. I was way. Up. Yeah, yeah, I get Italian. Native and Italian. Mario. Yeah, it's the hair and the stash. It's the. <laughs> <laughs> I thought this was a podcast. Is this a roast? <laughs> no, I we, no, no. In training no. camp, in, in training camp, you were like, you were like, "Hey, Wayne, uh, I, I'm sorry, but I'm just racially ambiguous." Yeah, and that blew his mind. <laughs> Some of my high school coaches said that they're like, "Mario, you're the most racially ambiguous guy ever." They're like, "Colombian, sure. Asian, sure. Hawaiian, sure. You could pass for anything." So what have y'all been up to this year um, with COVID going on and everything and missing the season? What's been going on? We'll start with you, Matt. Uh, well, I've been able to grow my business outside as a strength conditioning coach. So I've been able to pick up a bunch of clients individually uh, and do some one-on-one, but I've primarily been able to work with a lot of sporting teams. So London Basketball Association, London Ramblers, which is a female basketball association, uh, some baseball teams, hockey teams, they're all coming in. Uh, I was working back at Western uh, with some of their varsity teams, but with the COVID, obviously, the universities, everything shut down, but a bunch of their athletes are trying to come in, which has been good, surround myself with other athletes, and it's, it's tough being motivated with your own personal training. But yeah. uh, other than that, I've made a lot of trips down the 403 because Mario and I are planning on taking on the PGA once we retire from the CFL. Still, so, I think guys, all every I think Mario's played fifty-seven rounds of golf in the last four wow. months. Easily, uh, I think I'm I think I'm over forty, and I think at least twenty-five of those are with Mario's. <laughs> <laughs> so is so that's what Mackie, kept you busy, Mario. Yeah, Mackie pretty much answered for both of us. Uh, <laughs> No, I'm actually, um, I just am about to gra- or apply to graduate, finally, from university, which is nice. Awesome. Uh, so nice. I'm going to put that application in, uh, in soon. And then other than that, for the last couple of months, like Mackie said, just kind of, I've been enjoying the time off. Um, I've managed to put in a lot of good uh, training sessions and a lot of good in the world in the last eight months. I've been able to put in a lot of good sessions. So I'm happy with that. And then honestly, just golfing a lot, like Max said been out two three times a week just trying to keep myself busy and wait until this is this thing's all over so we can get back to playing football really what are you graduating in uh ethnic studies or <laughs> <laughs> no i'm graduating in a, a major in sociology with a minor in crib uh border media mediation perfect true detective huh <laughs> exactly man <laughs> i got the stash for it already I look like I look like Starsky and Hutch. <laughs> Both of them combined <laughs> at the same time. Mac, you're coming off of surgery, man. How you doing? How's the knee? I feel awesome. Like I, it feels really good. Like I would have been ready to go if we had been in the bubble. I would have been good to go. Like my goal, obviously, was training camp, but we knew that wasn't going to be a thing if it was in May. But I think kind of the silver lining was we we all know. I mean, hell, you know, I wasn't. 2019 if yeah i was at 80% i'd be like doc no i'm fine i'm 100% like i can go so i know if there was a season i was out there and just watching everyone i would have tried to push through that last little bit of rehab so i think that silver lining of me not having a season or all of us not having a season was 
giving me that last little two months to get from that 80, 85 to hundred percent. And it's nice to have the peace of mind that as soon as they said there's a potential for a bubble, I knew that I could go out and play. So yeah. we just finished. I mean, I was down training with Mario at his facility. We just did squat-tober. So he squatted every day in the month of October. Wow. And then I hit a PR squat 11 months after learning to walk again. So I'll, uh, I'll take that. So I'd say the knee feels pretty damn good. That's good. You speak of the bubble. Now, yeah. last year, I couldn't imagine us being in a bubble. We were in our own little bubble. Can you <laughs> – we'll start, we'll start with you, Rio. Like, think about this. Like, actually preparing yourself to go into a bubble. And they were talking about Winnipeg, I believe, Winnipeg or Sask or something like that. Could you imagine living in Winnipeg in a bubble for three or four months? Can you imagine remember, living like, in Winnipeg for three yeah. or four months? Period. <laughs> Period. Just in a bubble, so though. Mac and I talked about this and we were, we were kind of trying to wrap our heads around like what it would be like and what we would be able to do, what we wouldn't be able to do. I think a lot of like the fun, the aspect or the fun aspect of being a pro athlete is being able to go out and play golf after you practice and get your workday done and hang out with your guys and do all that stuff. So it would have been, I think, really, really tough to just go out there and like have all that taken away from you. Especially like, I mean, the fun that we had going out for dinners and going out for all these different things that we did as a group, as a running backs, right? Yeah. So I honestly personally couldn't imagine what it was going to be like. I guess for me, I don't know. It, it would have just been tough to like not be able to kind of connect with the team as well as you do when you go out and you do you have all those dinners and stuff like that, right? Yeah. Mac, you're part of the – you're a rep. And one of the things that I thought would be better is if everybody was in a hotel bubble in their own city. Because every team tra uh, charters now, would it not be more sufficient to be able to go from your bubble hotel in your city to practice and then practice back to the bubble and then, you know, things like that. And then you're going charter out, charter in, and you're just going hotel to field, hotel to travel, hotel to game, right? I think that's probably more sufficient for some guys other than everybody being in one city. And then how do you work out? Uh, practice like who gets to practice in the morning who practice in the afternoon does it rotate mm -hmm. you know did y'all when you y'all talk about those things when you look at the ball there was there was a million different questions and, and I think the new executives that we voted in, in in February when we had our AGM just before COVID hit it was pretty awesome that we could get that in because they worked pretty tirelessly like even though as reps we were on calls two sometimes three times a week I know they were on calls for two to eight hours daily yeah. for, a, for a couple weeks at a time. And I think the league kind of forced our hand and they were trying to push it and delay it as long as we could. So then they don't have to look like the bad guys and we can say, Oh, well, all oh, the players didn't give us enough time. Like we all know that's it's backwards. Yeah. But I think what caused it to be such a last minute was we as a PA were pushing all those questions. And I know Sully was big for it. Ryan King was big for it. Bowman was big for it saying, okay, what about the mental health of our athletes? Like, even in a regular season, why why we became so close as a group in 2019 was because we're all away from our girlfriends, wives, kids, everything like that. Okay, so what do we do? Well, we create a new family out there, and we get to exactly. explore with those, you know, with, with each other. We get to go golfing with each other, and we get to enjoy those moments and lifestyle away from our family. And then when we get to go back home, we get to see them. But now, remove us from our family, our normal social circle, stick us in a hotel room, 
with limited resources all in the same city. We can't leave the hotel. We can't leave the bubble. Yeah. Now what, what sort of mental health are we going to have for 10 weeks, 12 weeks, 18 weeks? If we do a full season, 21 weeks, like guys yeah. will be losing their minds. And that's why it took so long for us to come to a conclusion because we weren't going to just sign over saying, okay, yeah, we'll go play in a bubble, but you know, we got juice boxes and buttered bagels coming under the door every day and you can't do anything but Twitter thumbs for eight hours. So yeah, they, until we knew we were 100% happy and agreeing upon something that we would all want to go do, there was no chance we were going to do it. Right. And I, I was a big, obviously I was young as a rep, but it's like, I, I, I'm a big advocate for the bubbles in your own city, but then it always boils down to funding, right? How much yeah. money does each team have? Because, you know, what Sask is going to do, they're going to build a metropolis right next door to Mosaic. And guess what? Their boys got a sick ass hotel in four different practice fields. And then we're out in Tent City in BC and enjoying our lives. So it's just, it really boils down to the funding that each team has. And the easiest method is to bubble where each team has to contribute equally. And until each team found their owner and all want to contribute the same amount of money and risk, then it's, it's almost impossible. Yeah. You, you speak about that. Did you see what the NBA bubble was doing as far as they were all bringing in like wine cellars and somebody actually ordered a full size refrigerator for their room and yep. everything that Amazon was bringing in to that bubble was amazing. But these guys are making millions. Yeah, exactly. You know, they, they're bringing in cases of wine at a time. All right. Could you imagine like on a CFL budget, what would you do to pass the time? Because you do have a four and a half hour practice day, right? I'm pretty sure you're going to yeah. be meeting at the hotel. You just go to the field practice, come back, probably have some more meetings, but they, you still got to stay within that four and a half hours, but then just living in that hotel room, even though you get your own room, that's still got to be incredibly hard. I would have no idea. I'd lose my mind. I, I mean, I don't play video games. I don't sleep. Yeah. I don't do anything else, but <laughs> I don't do anything but I don't do anything but, but work out and golf in my off mm -hmm. time. And if you can't even do that, because then it's like, okay, are you just gonna have eight different gyms? You're gonna have nine different gyms, you're gonna have one gym. Like how does that work? Can we leave like our, our work day? Like me and Mario were there at Sam. And yeah. are we not allowed to go? We leave are we three not gonna be able to go? Well, just think about even how, how tough it was during COVID when everyone had to stay indoors and, like, nothing was open, right? Like, Mackie would call me for two and a half hours. We would go on walks <laughs> just because there was nothing else to do. Now yeah. we can't even do that. Like, we can't even leave the hotel room in, in Winnipeg. You can't even go for a freaking walk. Like, that's tough. Tough mentally. Tough. I wouldn't want, like, mentally when it came down to football, I wouldn't want to play football at the end of the day, I don't think. Yeah, I would be no. so drained and so mentally just like without seeing my family, without seeing my friends, without seeing anyone, it's, it would be way too tough. I think. I remember one That's time nice. I was going to say, I remember one time in high school, uh, our game, it was pouring down rain and we went through like pregame. So everybody's got their stuff on. You go through pregame, it starts to rain. Then it starts to hail, thunder, lightning. They delay the game. It's supposed to start at seven 30. It is now around eight 30 Guys are eating every power bar in the locker room. They're running and jump. You know how those Coke machines, like guys are running and jumping into the Coke machine and just throwing them back out. <laughs> I tell you what, they finally canceled the game around 9 30, 10 o'clock. They finally said, you know what, this is not going to happen. And when I got home, I felt like I'd played a game. 
just from being so restless in the locker room, getting ready to go play a game in football and you're pumped up, you know, you, you've taken your pregame and you're eating power bars and stuff. And now you're just sitting there anxious, ready to go out and play, but you can't. Right. So I could just imagine being in a hotel room. Would you, would they put two teams in one bubble hotel? And then could you talk to that team? Because now if one person yeah. gets it, that affects two people. And it's just so hard. It's crazy. Well, I agree. Like when you're telling a story, there was a, year, a game in my last year at Western and we were playing Guelph like week two and we were supposed to kick off at seven and midway through warm up lightning and everything comes in. So we go inside and eight o'clock rolls around more lightning, eight thirty rolls around more lightning. And so then the officials basically said, okay, well, uh, I think it was a rule with, noise violations in the city like we had to kick off at a certain time or else we'd be past whatever the the noise complaint or lights are on yeah and our head coach g marsh is like we're up and playing this game <laughs> <laughs> and they're like well sir what if we don't kick off by 9 30 you can't he's like we're playing i don't want to hear it <laughs> <laughs> so the other coach was like all right i guess we're playing and they're like well we can always play another time no we're playing today we're playing yeah now they said you have to kick off by 9.30. And at like 9.27, everyone saw a lightning strike, all the players. And G. Marsh just said, I didn't see that. <laughs> <laughs> so, so he comes in the standings? He, at the, so, yeah, because like, he didn't want to lose a game. So, yeah. we, so we go in. He comes in the locker room, sorry. And he's like, boys, we're playing. And so after two and a half hours, after when we were supposed to kick off, we go out and kick off at like 9.37 and the game finished because we had an, a, an extended halftime because of rain. So we finished at like 1.15 in the morning <laughs> and it also went into double overtime mm-hmm. and it was the most exhausting game. Did you win? <laughs> you back, yeah, we did. We did. Good but, luck. I, I'm glad you didn't lose because he would have been so pissed off. I would have fucking lost my mind. I would have absolutely lost oh, my mind. And we played terrible. That's, we go out and we just waited two and a half hours. And how we won the game, it may have been the worst performance of Western football in, in a decade. I think the first play of the game, I went the wrong direction. Then the next play of the game, our guards pulled into one another. And then our center went offside, snapped too early. And we somehow marched the field. It was outrageous. But we won. Oh, so that's, that's crazy. That's a, that's a seven-hour game, eh? It was outrageous. Or even more, right? Like, what time? Okay, you guys kick off at seven. You probably showed up at the stadium at what four o'clock in the afternoon. Yep, around there to leave at one a.m. Hole. <laughs> How early do you get to the stadium before games? Uh, well, I used to be—I used to be really weird in college. I—I I, I gave myself a good twenty-four hours, and I was so terrified of college games. <laughs> I just want to go. I was like, I was like, man, I got one job, this, and I got to go pro, so I got to be really good, and. I was for a good 36 hours before the game. I was, I was weird. And my girlfriend would know it. She'd call me like the morning before. If we played on the Saturday, it'd be like 9 a.m. on the Friday. And she'd call me and be like, are you weird yet? And I'd be like, yeah, yeah, I'm weird. <laughs> and I wouldn't want to talk to anybody. I didn't want to eat anything. I was just like in my own little world. So I would get there like four hours early and I did the same march around the field. And then after my first pro game, when I was just like so excited to be there, I was like, man, what's the worst that happens? I just get cut and I go work a regular job. And I was just, <laughs> I was just, I was like so relaxed. I was like, wow, why didn't I do this for years? Like, so I get there like early enough to warm up, but 
nothing crazy. Yeah. What about you? I Rio? mean, yeah. Well, for the pros, I would like to get there before Chapel, or at least like <laughs> to not miss Chapel. But no, other than that, I, I don't like, I don't like to show up too early. I get too like too antsy, too anxious. I'd rather just show up. I have my superstitions and everything with like how I put like my walk before the game. I call my parents. I do all that. And then the way I kind of like put my my uniform together and whatnot. But as soon as like I put that on, I just want to get out there. I hate sitting around. I hate the whole waiting game. I just want to go and play. Yeah. So probably probably like an hour, an hour be or an hour and a half, probably before we actually the state or the locker rooms close down. Yeah, I was the same way. I remember one time my rookie year, <laughs> I forgot my cleats, and I forgot <laughs> I forgot all my pads and my pants. So I didn't have no knee pads, no thigh pads. And I get to the game and I'm I'm unloading my bag and I'm like, what the hell was I doing yesterday packing my bag? <laughs> like I had some jumpman Jordan zone. Luckily we were playing in Sask and they had the old field turf. So I could I played in the shoes I wore to the stadium. No way. No, come on. I, I spatted up some all white jumpman Jordan. Oh my god. I actually have a picture. I hurdled a guy at the five yard line, landed at like the one and rolled into the end zones for a touchdown with my jumpman Jordan zone. And <laughs> but I never wore pads in my pants after that game again. Until my last year when they made it mandatory that you had to put your knee pads and thigh pads in. Now was I've that never a superstition? Yeah. No, no, no. It was just like, man, it's it was just like freeing yeah. because you think about it, those pads are so thin by the time you cut them up and make them thin. Mm-hmm. And some They're people, useless. They're useless. Some people just yeah. used to put the plastic in, right? Mm-hmm. So they would cut the, um, the yeah. foam off oh, of the it foam off, yeah. and just put the plastic in. But you get hit on your thigh, that plastic's going in your leg, and it hurts more. shatters. Right? <laughs> Back in the day, if you, look, if you look like 10 years ago, guys would roll their pants up above their knees. Yeah. So then your socks covered up the rest. So now it's just like playing in the field, right? Yeah. You you wasn't playing on hard turf anymore. That was the only thing about your knees if you fall on the hard turf. But now everything's pretty soft and it was it was cool, man. I it's it's free and it's almost like going out and playing in spandex and you have nothing else. You know, John Cornish, I remember he, he bought a butt pad and some thigh pads his first year. Because he was like, where's the butt pad and thigh pads? They're like, we don't play with butt pads and thigh pads. <laughs> oh, those big kitten pads? Those big kitten you yes. the through? Yes. <laughs> so he bought it. He bought his own, and he wore it the first couple games as a rookie. Wow. <laughs> I've never, I'm, I've I'm, never I'm forgotten sure. anything. I've never forgotten anything to a game. But at least once a month or once every other month, I'll wake up in the middle of the night from a nightmare, just showing up to a game, not having my helmet, not having my shoulder pads, and not having my cleats. And I'm just looking around like, what the fuck is going on? And just wake up in a just a deep sweat. <laughs> my first my first game at Western, I was like in shambles. I don't know. I was like, oh my God, I'm finally dressing. And we're walking out to the, we're heading to Windsor. And I see everyone else's road bag and it looks ginormous. And mine just looks like flaccid, like there's nothing in it. I'm like, man, what? Like, <laughs> So then everyone like I throw it under the bus and then I was like, oh, it still doesn't feel right. So I unlock it. I do not have my shoulder pads in there. And so I just ran back. (laughs) There's just, it's just this giant road bag with just one helmet. So it's just like so big, just collapsed. And so I run back inside and get my shoulder pads. I'll never forget that. So now it's like I'm 
Like before, I'm like sitting there. I'm like, okay, leg pads, shoulder pad, neck. Oh, I dress. I dress myself uh, socks up. Yeah, every single time. <laughs> yeah, make sure you I don't forget. Two legs at a time, like you're a normal person. <laughs> Speaking of dreams, though, like every time I have a sports dream, even now, I'm always forgetting, or I'm I'm in super slow motion. Like everybody's running fast. And I'm slow and I'm falling down and I can't stand up or something's always going wrong. See, that's my oh, yeah. real life. That's you know yeah, that's I was just saying, are you are you that's yeah, just you the fullback life? Yeah, that's that's every day. <laughs> that's, that's what we've been living through the last 10 years. Yeah. Oh wow. <laughs> way, way to rub it in, Nick. After your retirement, you're dreaming of that. Wow. Everyone's running life. faster than you. I'm just I did have a dream. I did have a dream probably a couple months ago that I came back to the stamps. It was like they were going into the playoffs. They needed somebody. I came back, and then I was like, I don't know if I want to play. It was just crazy. <laughs> I'm never playing again. Trust me. Ever. <laughs> it sounds it's good just... in theory. <laughs> <laughs> you just got to do more of the hip exercises we were doing during training camp. Oh man! <laughs> oh, I still do. I still do. Everybody was laughing at us, and everybody was good, feeling good. Man, you know what? I think, I think when Rutley, I see Rutley Rutley still does. Yeah, yeah Rutley still I does. Rutley doing the before games, but we talk about equipment. I'm pretty sure if Rudd had a came back for a bubble in 2020, he would have had those volleyball knee pads on. He would have had a full girdle. I think he'd have padded shoes with like hockey skate tongues. Like, <laughs> His warm-up routine before games was probably my favorite. Out really? in center field with the with the karate kid Head headband man. on and just doing the doing the so, hip stretches. He looked like Sunshine. <laughs> Remember the Titans? Like yes. <laughs> <laughs> then you have me, Mackie, and Wayne out there doing full-on thirty-yard sprints, and oh, he's just man. like, "What are you th- What are you three doing?" I, I would see that, and I my pregame warm-up, I would just be looking at people like me and Cope would go out on the field. We would do a little, you know, high knees and stuff, little plyo stuff and um, and get some stretching in. But then we would just throw the ball back and forth, get some catches in, run inside the side. And then we would go in. It was about 20 minutes. But when Cope left in 10, I never went back outside anymore. I hate thinking about the game until the game gets there. Right. I was thinking of my I was thinking of my knee and I need to get it as warm as possible. Yeah, you'd have that big knee brace on. You'd be out there sprinting. I'm like, yeah, Mac right today. Maggie's gonna be like, all right today. I was like, listen, there's two there's two single injections and two tortal injections. I need to move this through my bloodstream ASAP. Wow. That pregame. So so when did you start playing sports? What was the first sport? And at what age were you when you first started? I was, I was probably five years old, and I started with soccer. All right, good old Colombian kid, you know. <laughs> so now you're Colombian <laughs> again. <laughs> well, yeah. hey, man, up until, up, up until probably like 10 or 11 years old, it was just soccer. Soccer, soccer, soccer. Like, my dad would drive me to every single practice. He, he lived and breathed for soccer. And then after that, once I got to high school is kind of where I started – growing and i got too fat to play soccer <laughs> so then they looked at me like you're big enough to play football so then they threw me football. <laughs> what do you play when you first started soccer. playing football quarterback okay what about you Matt? off the bat uh 
I I kind of played whatever. Like I didn't really play organized sports until I would say maybe I was like 11 or 12 and it started with baseball and I loved baseball. I was good. And then they were like, okay, hey, so there's nothing left in our small town that is competitive. So you'd have to drive to so-and-so and it's this expensive. My parents like, well, that's too expensive. We don't have a car. So kid, no more baseball. And that was the end of baseball. So then I went to like basketball and volleyball in elementary school. And then I went to high school and I thought I was a basketball player. And then I got cut from grade nine basketball. So I was no longer a basketball player. And then football started in grade 10. And I was like, I could probably manage this. And then I played quarterback, same as Rio. And uh, I was pretty damn good. So is it just the, the best athlete plays quarterback in like in Canadian high school? Or how did you transform into the quarterback? Was it just a, yeah. I think it was just, I could throw was, the ball the furthest. Yeah. <laughs> we, I started at tight end and I was just long and lanky. I think I was like the same height I am now, but only like 170. And then, which I guess was a big 10th grader. But uh, after about two weeks, they were like, all right, well, we got this sweet tight end, but we had no one to throw in the ball. So then I just started playing quarterback and ran exclusively. <laughs> yeah. I was a quarterback in high school. So, of course you were. Yeah. Yeah, oh, yeah. Well, only my senior year, though, because, you know, the rest of the years we had a quarterback, but a lot of people graduated. And the head coaches basically looked at me and said, you can play quarterback and touch it every play or play receiver, and we can hope to get it to you five times a game. I said, and you know what? And you know what? As I get older, that is the high school coach cop out of, hey, listen, man, I only have two athletes and I don't know enough to coach everyone. So yeah. I'm going to put it in your hands every play and make you make the decisions. From yeah. grade 10 and on, I was bigger than my O line every single year. Wow. <laughs> every I, single my year. High school, my high school was so bad. There was one game where I played linebacker, guard, and quarterback. You played guards? I never got I never no. got the I never got on the old line. I never, so, got, I never got on the old line. We I ran in one game for like 150 yards with fumble rooskies at guard. Nice. We were so we were so bad. And I think we won like four games in my entire high school career. Like it was it was wow. bad. Nice. How is it mentally year, losing games more. like that? What's that? I said, how is it mentally losing games like that in high school when you lose so much? Like, do you see – because obviously you're, you're playing you're, – you're hoping to play in college, right? Mm -hmm. And when you're constantly losing, how are you viewing that? Is it hard to go well, through? My thing was, like, I, I didn't really okay. think about college because no one in my family had really gone to school. Yeah. So, I, I didn't, it wasn't something I really thought about, oh, I want to go to university until my final year. Then I was like, okay, wow, like, scouts started coming to – games and shit and I was like oh I guess I'm pretty good at this so in my mind it was like regardless of my winning or losing this might be the only football I get to play in my life yeah I didn't get to play basketball because I guess I wasn't good enough I didn't get to play baseball or hockey or anything competitive because we didn't have the money so this is a sport I get to play competitively and this might be the last sport I get to play so I didn't really think about winning or losing at the time as much as obviously it sucked to lose like every week it was like oh well we're playing so-and-so and we lost by 40 last time. So we only win by, we lose by 39. I guess that's a win. <laughs> and I, it got to the point where when I first started playing, my dad was like, you know, just have fun. And then it got to the point where my dad was like, 
just be safe. <laughs> <laughs> Don't get hurt today. <laughs> like, okay, son, just in don't do anything stupid but uh i don't know it wasn't until my last year where i was like okay i want to be competitive but then it just turned into as long as i perform well maybe i get to go to to college so it there was less pride around winning or losing because my first year uh, of football was the first year the football team existed at that school okay so we, we had no expectations really so we just started the football team and it's like okay we don't expect to go out there and win games because we don't really have football players so uh, I think the year after I left, they ended up winning cities. So it's, it just took a long time to, for the team to grow. Yeah, so yeah. it wasn't too bad. I know. I'm trying to think back because I had a, I had a, I had a year in grade ten where we I think we went like one and seven. Mm-hmm. And I'm trying to think like back to back to like how I I approached losing all the time and whatnot because I mean we weren't very good. But like Max said, like I I enjoyed playing football so much that just going out there and being competitive and like letting myself. Yep know that I played as well as I could have and that's all that happened like I loved football so much that it just I was like you know what just keep chipping away at it I think we're gonna end up winning at some point and then the next year we won the city championship which was kind of nice oh, that's but cool. yeah I never really I don't know losing sucks as much as it does but I I just like the competition to be honest in Texas and winning I, was, I mean winning is just a plus in Texas I always talk about the programs that Texas high school football players have where you have hundred thousand dollar strength coaches and you have all these people in place that that help you to develop, right? What is Canada? Where you're from in Ontario, how was the process of getting to the game, after the game, workouts? Was it team-wise or was it on your own? Like, how was that process for you guys in high school? All right, go ahead, Rio. We had practice. You show up to practice, and that was it. There, no there weights, really no, no weight training, no weight training, um, no, no film, nothing like that. You, you would show up in high school, you would play, you would play the game, and then you would practice three or four times a week, and that was it. I, don't, I didn't, personally, I didn't know uh, how to, like, approach training and whatnot, so I didn't really start training until I got to university because I didn't have anyone to really, like, mentor me or tell me, hey, like, you should be lifting this much and training this much and doing this and doing that and going about it this way. Yeah. Um, I would just go, I would honestly play the football season and the football season would end. And as soon as that ended, depending on how well we did, I would have one or two weeks and then I would go right into basketball and I would play the basketball season up until February. And then right about right around that time is when like Spears, like our kind of like rep football would start our travel football. Yeah. And then I would go out for that. And then that would take me up until August and then high school football would start again. And then the whole year would start again. So there was really no weights, no nothing. No one really telling me, hey, you should eat this. Hey, you should train this. Hey, you should lift these weights. Nope. It was just straight sports all year round. Same for Mine, me, uh, Mine's a little different. Like, I, I went to – my high school is pretty sweet. Like, I went to a school that is for sports. So it's Bill Carter Secondary School, Markham. Uh, shout out to them. Uh, it is a sport for healthy, active living in sports. So you actually have to apply to this school. It's, it's a public school. It's not a private school, but you have to apply with an application from your elementary school principals and coaches and sports. And then along with your grades. So they want like highly academic students that participate in a healthy, active lifestyle. And even though I didn't necessarily play a high level of sport at the time uh, or played competitive sports because my parents couldn't really afford it. It was something that my elementary school 
coaches and principal advocated for saying, okay, he wants to live a, a life healthy, active living. He just doesn't have the opportunity. That's awesome. Um, so it was a really cool school. It's crazy now. Like my first year in the school, there was 300 kids and now there's like 1600 kids. Like going back to it now, I'm like, this place is fucking crazy, but it's, uh, I was pretty fortunate that they brought in a strength. My second year, the, uh, the school hired a strength coach and there's two gyms, a plyometric studio, everything like that. So I got to learn more about myself as an athlete and strength training. And I think that's what really blew my mind in, in the strength training industry outside of sports um, at a young age. So I got a pretty good exposure to strength training, but in terms of the football, once we started, it was the first year the, the football program existed. So the, all the energy was just making sure that it could stay afloat. So it's like, yeah. let's just get enough players, but there was no football players because everyone comes to the school to play their sport. So no, yeah. because there was a football team, no one came to the school to play to football. Play football. So we, were, yeah. we were recruiting hockey players and baseball players and basketball players. So we had just a bunch of misfits that we tried to put together on the field. And our coaches were like, listen, can you guys at least try to make it to one or two practices? <laughs> Okay, well, coach, I got hockey practice and I got basketball. It's like, okay, go, go. We'll just, it was basically whatever guys we have at practice, if that's 10 guys, if that's 20 guys, we'll do whatever the work we can. And then we'll just go into games with whatever we had practice. And it got a little better as time went on, just because the program had existed more. Yeah. But it's that same problem that Mario mentioned that the football guys, they either, okay, they played basketball or they wrestled in the winter. And then after that, they played rugby in the spring. And then they go home for the summers and they do nothing. If anything, maybe clubs like Cal Mario played Spears. Yep. And then August rolls around. Well, here we are, we're recruiting hockey players and wrestlers and basketball players to try and play football again. So there was just no culture around, I'm a football player. I represent like the football team. I identify as that. I want to train for football specifically. It's more, I'm an athlete. In the fall, I participate play in football. And then outside of that, I'll wrestle or I play basketball. But they self-identify more as other athletes as opposed to football players. So there was no culture around it. But now I went back and I gave one of my jerseys to the principal. And it's a new principal. And she just poured a bunch of money into the program. She wants the team now to be part of the private school sector with – uh, St. Andrews College and UCC and everything. So they just put a new school board up, a new turf field. Yeah. And she's like, hey, listen, if we turn private, we can actually recruit football players now. And so now we've got these these great facilities that we can actually recruit and bring in football players. So that's going to be pretty cool moving forward. And I'll at least see the program that I started in 20 or 2009 and we were garbage is now actually finally getting some recognition. So that'll be cool. That's awesome. That's, that's awesome. awesome. Matt, yeah. Matt, did you guys ever get to run 12 on 12 or no? Yeah, so we ran 12 on 12 my whole year, like, well, every year of high school. But now everyone's pulled so many, like, as soon as that movie Concussion came out, it single-handedly killed football in York Region and north of Toronto. And for the last two years, I always thought, oh, maybe I'll go back and watch one of my high school games. But they only had enough to field nine players aside. Not just oh, my school, yeah, every, saying about that. Yeah, but yeah, every yeah. other school in the area can only play nine versus nine. Wow. Yeah, pretty brutal. That's so, that's pretty my, crazy. I don't think ever like through my because I I did a I did a fifth year I did a victory lap of high school. All through my five years, I don't think we ever field the twelve on twelve for practice. Ever talk to me. Wait a second. Talk to me about this uh, victory lap. What is it? 
know, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. What is a wait a second? Wait a second. All the best Canadian athletes do is a big three. Oh, yeah. You call it a big three lap? Wait, 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 wait. You call it a victory lap a by going lap. back to high school. Fucking ready. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Talk to me about this victory lap. What is so it? You, well, yeah, go ahead, Rio. Personally, I did it because I didn't know what I wanted to study yet, and I didn't know where I wanted to go to university. Um, a lot like Mackie, I don't think really thinking or the thought of university came around for me probably like grade 11, grade 12. And at that point, I don't want to say it was too late because I was still taking like university courses and whatnot. But I hadn't really like reached out to other universities uh, when it came to football or when it came to actually like what I wanted to study. So I finished my grade 12 year and I was like, you know what, I don't want to rush into just like jumping into some random program that I might not like. So and honestly, like going to university is pretty expensive. So I was like, I'll, I'll, I'll come back for fifth year, um, kind of like look more into what I'm interested in when it comes to like career choices and whatnot. And then I'll go about it next year. Um, what do you and do? honestly, it was the best thing. But what do you uh, do? You go back can you and you still just play take, football? Can you still? Yeah, you can go back. You can play football. You can just, you can take new courses. If you want to take new courses, you can bump up any marks that you needed to bump up that you potentially didn't get into university because of. Um, it's honestly, honestly, for me, I would have been way too immature going into university at the age of like 18. That extra year of, 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 um, of high school really, really helped me. Yeah, you, you do everything regularly. Dave Dave can tell you better. Like, you can you play football. You just take oh, man, <laughs> pretty much take courses. It's like there's, it's, there's two there's two positives. One, yeah, you have the best time of your life because football is so easy because you are you are almost 19 playing high school football and it's hilarious. <laughs> uh, but then it's pretty but you've awesome. already graduated though. Yeah, you've already graduated. So you can't. So, so the so you can't fail. No, no. like you, you can just go. <laughs> so you, you can go. Lap. <laughs> yeah, so you can go. And so what I did, I I only needed one semester. Like I went back to work. Uh, like my dad got sick, so I was like, okay, I'm not ready to go to university. University is expensive. I don't know what I want to do. I, I don't really have any guidance. My parents don't know what the hell university costs or what I should do. So I went. I just took two courses. I had a spare first thing in the morning, and then I had gym class with the football coach, and then, I, and then I had lunch, and then I had calculus and biology in the afternoon, and then football practice. So it's like, it was awesome. Like it was, oh, yeah. it was so much fun. But I only went for one semester, and then I had a full semester off. So I worked uh, from what December until August before I went to university. So I got to work full time for eight months and put some good money away and that paid for residence in my first year or whatnot because the scholarships in Canada don't cover anything more than $4,500. So yeah. it's like, if it, if it wasn't for that eight months, I wouldn't, like I needed a laptop for school. I needed right. extra meal plans and stuff like that. So Same it's, thing, yeah. there's not like, I went to school, the thing with going to that, that Bill Carter secondary school, there was a lot of money that a lot of the students had. And I was very different compared to a lot of the students. And you have to get permission from the principal to come back for a year. Cause they obviously know that, that a bunch yeah. of goons will come back and there's it's win-win. They get to play football. They don't have to study because as soon as football season's done, they can leave yeah. and yeah. it didn't cost them anything. So it's very much, okay, are you going to come play football, study and then leave? And uh, I think it was great for me. Like Mario said, maturity levels, 
just yeah. you're one year wiser going to university and then you get to enter university at legal age which is awesome <laughs> which i mean it's great for <laughs> <laughs> i mean in alberta it's 18 but yeah so i want to go back to this real quick we'll start with you mac yeah. how did you how did you end up at western how did you pick western and and missing you know just doing everything from your victory lap to western how did that process go and how did you decide there so it wasn't we kind of touched on it earlier it's like i didn't know university was going to be a thing right yeah. there was there was no guidance it's not that my dad told me not to go to university but he just and my mom they just didn't really know the options right and i started getting recruited uh my last year and then it just kind of blew up like I said, as much as football is really fun in your victory lap, you're better than everyone. So your exposure is that much higher, right? You got better film. And uh, I started getting options kind of all over Ontario, some out east, some out west. And then uh, when I finished my season, I also got to finish my academic courses. So I knew exactly which grades I had. So I could go to every university and say, hey, here's my grades. Where can I get in? And I narrowed it down. There were some schools that just right away I didn't want to do. Like I didn't want to live in Toronto. I wanted to be close enough to home that if my dad got sick again or something like that, I could always get on a train and come home. Um, and that's why I was close to going out to Manitoba and Calgary. But then that just, if I barely had the money to get to schools, if something were to happen, I couldn't really afford to just hop on a plane and, and get back. So yeah, uh, I narrowed it down to McMaster and, and Western and, and those schools just academically because I figured if I'm going to university, I'm going to be the first in my family. I might as well get a degree that carries some weight, right? Like those names alone academically carry some good weight. And I went to Western and uh, I did three different trips just to ensure I knew what I was doing and uh, partied my face <laughs> off for <laughs> like three different trips. And I went three I different trips. Awesome. I don't remember any of it. Oh, yes. I, the first one was great. I, I, I can't remember it, so I had to do a second one. So I had to go again. I had to do a third one. And it, I had such a great time just the culture with the guys. And like we said, I barely won a game in high school. So to have an opportunity to go and play for a team that I'm like, wow, they only lose one or two games a year, and I can totally dive into a culture that is so developed and the traditions are amazing that I didn't get that when I first started playing. Um, was kind of cool, and so I, I chose Western, and uh, yeah, I loved it. So, Rio, what about you? How'd you get the wood for Laurier? Um, be honest, and I say this, it's funny enough. I thought for the longest time I was gonna end up at Western. Um, in my in my grade twelve year is kind of where I started really getting the recognition from, like, not so much from high school, but more so from Spears. At that point, I was playing Zed. I was playing receiver and whatnot so um again i got offers from like windsor and all these different places but i thought western 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 from the from the, from the jump and then i went to a couple visits there never did anything overnight uh really really liked it and then i met michael folds i think in my right before my victory lap started um yeah right victory lap in like 2014 and he he just straight up said hey i'm down for a visit We'll get you in for a game, come in the locker room. You can stay the night, whatnot. And I already had a couple friends from uh, my high school that went to Laurier already. And honestly, as soon as I stepped on, I, I it felt like home. Um, at no point in time was like, I was like, well, Western this, well, Western that. 
Um, and literally I stayed the night. I went into Folds' office the next, the next morning. I was like, hey man, uh, where's the paper? Like I, I want to sign. This is where I want to be for the next four or five years of my life. And signed the paper right away. And that's that's where I ended up. It was pretty quick to be yeah. honest. Like even before, before my victory lap was done, I was signing. Uh, I had already signed, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. It That'd happened pretty awesome. quick. It just felt like home. It felt right. I mean, they were. It was at a point where the program where they had just, I think, gone one, one and eight or something like that. Yeah. Or one and seven. And I, I thought I could go in and play right away. And I wanted to be part of a change and part of that, building that culture, like kind of like Mackie did um, in his high school. And I wanted to do the same thing with Laurier. So did that, and I'm happy with it. Yeah. What would you like to see changed in Canadian college, the CIS or the U Sports? What is something that you think there should be more of or something that you would like to see change to not only help the athletes, but help the programs gain more money and just create better and better, better and better uh, situations for the players? I think there's a lot of flaws in terms of the connection between the student life and sports. And it's unfortunate that Western in, in recent years have has tried to dissociate students and partying and culture and traditions and university sports because they want to be known as an academic school and everything like that. And my first two years, that's when Sportsnet was still in contact with CIS. And there was over 16, 17,000 people at Canadian University game. We were televised. Students were having parties all day. They would march down to the game. It was, it was incredible atmosphere. And I actually, my first game that I visited Western was on homecoming. And I was like, holy shit, I got to come here. Like this is, you don't see it anywhere else in the country. Yeah. And then my second year was great. Same thing. Then third year, they said, no, we don't want homecoming to be about partying. They want it to be about uh, alumni and donations and funding. So they moved the event to the last game of the year. And that's the end of October. It's cold. It's snowy. Yeah. Students students don't want to be outside partying. And it also coincides with the busiest academic week and Western schedule. So now students are saying, even if I would was willing to deal with the snow and the cold, I've got three midterms this week and I can't go to party where my yeah. first two years before I was there, it was the second week of September. It's beautiful. It's warm. There's keg parties all the way down Main Street. Brofdale was full of people. It's like a sea of purple and white. And I remember like coming, I, I was walking to my first uh, homecoming dress and everywhere you look, people are partying. Like it got you so excited to play the game because I'm walking from my student house to the game yeah. and there's thousands of people running around the city partying, coming to watch it at one. And they just tried to pull that apart. And right away, Sportsnet doesn't want to film games anymore because it just looks empty and it's boring. Secondly, students no are saying, there, yeah. I don't want to go. And if it turns into a social thing, oh, Mario, are you going? No, I can't. I got a midterm. Oh, okay, then I won't go. And, you know, that happens to 35,000 students across campus. And now we've only got a couple thousand people at, and it's just family, friends, and, and some people in the environment or the, uh, the community. And then now there's, there's the culture starting to fizzle, which really sucks. Yeah, <clears throat> very unfortunate. What about you, Rio? What do you think about that? That's tough. I really agree. I mean, the same thing happens at Laurier. <laughs> I mean, the same thing happens at Laurier. No, like, um, there's there's a huge disconnect from like people wanting to come out to the games. Um, we always joke about like the stands being completely empty, but like we don't get sportsmen and all that stuff anymore. 
we have two games a year that are completely packed and we're only for the first half. The first, the first game is homecoming. Everyone leaves at halftime because everyone's come, gotten drunk and done whatever they wanted to do, and now they want to go out and party on the street. Yeah. And the other, the other game that we actually get fans is when they, they do uh, they do like a student game where they bring all the kids from the feeder schools, the high schools, and elementary schools from around uh, Kitchener, and they'll bring those kids in. But then same thing, they'll bring them in the first half, but then they got to get out of there to go back to school because they have to take all the buses back back home. So a huge disconnect between actually having fans and like what you can actually do and whatnot. And from Laurier, like the biggest thing that, and it all comes down to money, but it's just having better. We don't have an athlete only gym Laurier. I know Western they they do, but we we share we share the the, the gym with all the other students from Laurier, right? All comes down down to funding, but we we don't have that. Um, you look at D one schools in the state, and they have three, four different gyms, three different, three, four different facilities that the, all the athletes can use. Just the biggest disconnect here. Like we don't have, that. we don't have really meal plans for, for athletes. We don't have any of that stuff. And I mean, that just comes down to money again, but we, that's where I would like to see it grow. Cause there's, there's just a big disconnect, I think. Yeah. I think the unfortunate part to add to that, sorry, Nick, is that it's crazy. Cause even yeah. when we talked earlier about the bubble model and it boils down to funding, Everywhere in Canada, I find the problem with sport, it boils down to how much money we have that goes towards it, which is the same in the U.S., but the U.S. doesn't mind putting more and more money into athletics because they see right. the benefits right. that it does for the community and the benefits that it does towards lifestyle right. change for young athletes and the influence that it has on athletes. Where in Canada, they just, they'd rather put their money into something else, which is unfortunate because you see so many youth, youth athletes go to waste because... They didn't have the opportunity. The culture around sport isn't there because of all of, I don't even see an advertisement. Yeah. Well, we'd rather put that advertisement in something else. And it just sucks yeah. that it all, always boils down to funding, but it, it, there's no other way to dance around it. Like it's just, if there's no money there, no time, then people aren't going to see it and recognize it as something that they want to be a part of. And then they're not going to obviously send their money in, and then it's just a vicious circle. Well, I'm, I'm working on something to bring some more notoriety and, and some more income to uh, the CIS game um, right now that we're planning on launching in 2021, because it is a, is a, it's a huge benefactor to have these kids be in a place where they can thrive. Right. And, but we need people in yeah. the stands. Like my brother's high school was making around 120 to $150,000 a home game. Right. And this is the high school in Texas. And the, and the reason is they put money into it. They advertise, they do things. You got to put, and I always believe people will support who they know. If yep. you get out into the community and people know you, they will support you, right? So those are some of the things that I'm looking at. And I, I appreciate those, that feedback, because one, it helps me out on, on what I'm trying to do, but it also gives people at home a sense of, this is what the players that play there, this is how they feel, this is what they see. And even it's almost like the school self-sabotaging itself. I mean, homecoming is supposed to be fun. Everybody coming back is not in school. Homecoming is people coming back to yeah. represent that school for that yep. weekend. And they want to have fun. So why Absolutely. not put them in a position to have the most fun that you can have, right? So, yeah, exactly. that's, that's really shitty. Um, I think, too, it's the biggest thing like my roommate and I were talking about it is that it's, it's 
worrisome because talent is going to start leaving. There's more and more Canadians going across the border for school. Yep. Because That's exactly what I was going to say, yeah. They understand that, one, the culture is going to be awesome. They're going to play in front of a bigger crowd. They're going to be taken care of. Their education is going to be paid for, right? And then they get to stick around on there. And obviously, they, they have a great shot at coming back and playing in the CFL or NFL. But now the talent level in Canada is going to drop because all the best athletes are going to start going south because why would they stay here if they can go down there for a better community and better feel and better education, whatever it is. And Mm -hmm. it's sad because you don't want to go back and look back 10 years from now when we get to go back to a homecoming game, Western versus Laurier and Allen's not there because for years the school didn't want to put money in. Exactly. Money in. And now the product on the field is just, it's less. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, you see all these guys going down south already, like you said, right? And they're, I mean, they're thriving and they're doing well. So, I mean, athletes here, we just don't have, we, we don't have uh, the money yeah. <laughs> to blow <it> down to. <laughs> We've got to create the income for it. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. When, did, when did you believe that you could play at the next level when talking about going pro? Like at what point was there a point? Was there a game that happened that you were like, you know what, I got a shot, or what was it that gave you that confidence that you know what I could play in the CFL or the NFL? It's funny enough. I went to watch uh, one of these one of the guys that I played with at Laurier play in Toronto, uh, Godfrey Onyeka. I went to watch him play in Toronto for the first time. Yeah, and I took my mom, and we were just sitting there watching the game. And I'm looking around, I'm watching the game, and I looked at my mom, and I was like, I can, I can play there. I know I can do it. And it was in, yeah, it was my, going into my fourth year at Laurier. And that's when I, when I really kind of like sat down, I was like, you know what, I can do that. I can, I, I know I can, I can compete with those guys. I can keep up with those guys. I'm strong enough. I'm fast enough. I know I can do it. And that was, that was kind of like the big eye opener. Yeah. Yeah. Mackie? Mac? I, uh, I don't, it's, mine was always feedback from other guys. Like, I wouldn't say I'm super self-deprecating but i i oftentimes like try and humble myself because as much as i'm thinking i, I want to go pro and all the work that i put into it whether it's coming back for an injury or prep for games and stuff i didn't start until my fifth year and it was always feedback of guys saying hey don't worry your time will come you'll have an opportunity don't worry about it and it was guys that had either been drafted and gone pro and either been cut or gone pro and stuck around and they would come back to Western games or practices and be like, hey, Mac, like you can hang at the next level. You can be very talented. And I was like, okay, sure, good feedback. Now, in my mind, I was like, oh, I got to work just as hard to prove that guy right, right? Like, if he if he sticks his neck out, he's like, oh, you know, I'll talk to my coordinators about your special teams coordinator. I'll let him know. And so now I'm thinking, okay, I got to thank guys. Like, you know, Preston Huggins was one of our linebackers who got drafted in Hamilton. They asked him to move to fullback. And he called me and was like, bro, you need to teach me something about fullback. And I was like, why is this guy calling me? We, there's other guys, but okay. Um, talking to guys like Daryl Wobb, he was in Toronto, uh, Lerum, um, just different guys that kept telling me, like, hey, keep putting the time in. Like, I know you're not seeing the field right now, but you'll get your chance in college, and then you'll easily go pro. And I was like, okay. So it was just one of those things where it was awesome reassurance from those guys when I was putting in those work, and I wasn't sure if it was going to pay off and just hearing it from them saying, like, hey, if you work the way you're doing, you keep playing the way you're doing, you'll have a shot. So I uh, shout out to those boys. When you we talked about the high school workouts earlier, 
Now the college mm-hmm. workouts, when did you start to take those as serious um, as you do now? Like when you were in college, were you spending a lot of time on your own lifting weights? Was it in the program or how was that? Uh, the, the strength training program at Western is pretty awesome. Like Jeff Watson is the head strength coach at Western. He's incredible. He does an awesome job with the football team. So it's, it's very well known. Like day one or two of training camp, every single rookie is, has a mandatory lift and he gets his hands on you for the first time. And he just beats the shit out of you on day two. And it's basically like, this is the standard of training here. And it's, I loved that because I, it's funny. It's, it's, you think you know about football until you go to college and you think you know about football until you go to pro. And it was the same as like, I, I thought I knew my, I thought I knew my way around the weight room in high school. And then I showed up to college. I was like, Oh man, I know nothing. And then I graduated university and got into the, my professional career as a strength coach. And I was like, man, I really knew nothing. And if I knew what I knew now back then, but of course you can't really live retrospectively, but I dove in year one and it was, couple guys, Alex May and James Fakas were the two fullbacks at the time. And when I got switched to fullback halfway through my rookie year, I remember walking into the gym and seeing these guys and they were in an argument. And so how they solved it, they were just bitching at each other back and forth. They put 315 on the squat bar and they just squatted as many times as you could. And I think one guy did like 49 reps and the other guy did like 48 reps. And I was like, okay, those are the other two fullbacks that I can compete with. That's <laughs> That's, that's what I got to do. Okay. And from that point forward, I just trained with those boys and then it just, I just flipped the uh, flips the switch. So yeah. What about you, Rio? Um, like I said, I didn't really train or even work out all that much if at all throughout high school. And then I got to university um, and lucky enough to, to be uh, roommates with my trainer. Now. His name is Miles Methner. Yeah. Um, ended up, fucking falling in love with the gym he he became he he really really helped me fall in love with it um we had a really really good strength coach our first year tyson staples and just from the get-go um i i really enjoy learning new new skills new tasks new, new things like that that's i think why i fell in love with golf i fell in love with olympic lifting man i fell in love with cleaning snapping doing all those movements and whatnot and it's it's it was just so humbling because it's something that I, I couldn't do right off the jump and dropping the weights, dropping the weights on my head, just not being able to move properly, being slow, looking around, being one of the weaker guys just kind of motivated me to just keep going in, keep going in day after day after day after. And then honestly, from there on out, I just fell with it. Like I've been doing it every single day for pretty much for the last, what, five, six years. Yeah, that's awesome. A lot of it has to go to, to Tyson Staples and then Miles Methner. They, they really, really helped me out and made me fall in love with it. Now, when we're, when we're going pro, Matthew in 2018, uh, you played behind Roly Lombala. When I got the film, when I got the job last year and I first got the film and I watched you play, I was like, man, this dude is athletic. You could see your athleticism come through because I played with a guy like Rob Cote who has great hands, who has great body control. He can run routes. He can... He can block in the box. He's not the biggest guy either. Like Rob's a smaller guy. And I play with right. a guy named JC Beaulieu, who in Montreal, who I think is a phenomenal fullback that could play tailback as well. You know, it kind of like Mercer Timms was, Timmis was, right. in, you know, in Hamilton, a uh, bigger guy that could run. 
and he could also do some blocking and catching. And so to be able to be around and, and see Rob Cote do what he does and, and to see uh, JC and then to see you, I was like, I was really blown away by your, your athletic ability. That's why when I just learned now that you just became a starter your senior year and it's just like, it blows my mind because when I look at a lot of Canadians, I don't see 99% as athletic as you at your size. I mean, look at last year, you, you got the hurt knee. I don't remember what game it was exactly, but you catch the ball across the middle, you run it on the sideline, you hurdle the guy. And it's just like, like how many people can do this? Yeah, it was, it's funny. Cause I, like, I, I owe it to obviously my wide variety of, sporting growing up I mean I didn't even mention how much ultimate frisbee and everything I was playing just like I was exposed to so many different kinds of sports and it I don't know when I got to college I thought I was the athletic guy but it's just something that I had to just put time in and then it was actually funny it was my interview with BC in the combine and it was Wally Buono that commented on my athleticism and I thought he absolutely despised me from the first three seconds of that interview, because he's terrifying. And all of a sudden he's like, nope, I want you to do all the drills with the receiver because I think you you have the talent. And I was like, oh shit, okay, Wally. That's Wally Wano talking to me. I've seen you on TV for my entire life. Uh, okay, sweet. And just hearing it from his mouth was the first time that it was kind of cool to hear it. And I wish I got to display it more. Like I didn't get to catch a lot of passes in my first two years. And it was awesome, I think, in my first year learning from Roley, because he's uh, him and I are obviously very different players, but yeah, learning how efficient he was at the fullback position inside the box was, I think, really what I needed to kind of tie together the package to take over as a starter. I think for wherever I go and play, whether it's back in BC or free agent, I think learning, like I remember watching him win every single LPR in training camp with like one arm. Like he was like smiling and laughing through pass rushes. And I was like, this guy's an absolute animal. I think he's insane. Yeah. And he was late in his career, and he didn't move as well as he could, but he, he was so efficient. Strong. <clears throat> but at the same time, I think I gave him that little bit of found of youth because I came in and I wanted to run <clears throat> run routes and jump and hurdle and catch balls. And he was like, okay, if I got to keep this job, I got to do all that shit too. Yeah. <clears throat> but it was cool to finally catch one in open space because I think out of every ball I caught, in 2019, I got absolutely murdered within two yards of, of catching that ball. And in the first time since college, I got to catch a ball in open space. And it was, I think, a good eye-opener for other coaches and other OCs watching saying, I, you know, I got tools in the tool bag apart from just being stationary at three-point position. And me and Mario actually had this conversation. One of our buddies was asking to compare ourselves as athletes. And <clears throat> I think... I suit the Canadian game so well because I can use space very well. Yeah. Or Mario is just so driven off the line and like, he can talk more about that, but he's, he's so efficient off the line. And I think that's what made him so good coming into the league right away where we complimented each other, where being out in space and running routes and everything was my strong suit. And Mario coming in right away and pushing me being like a true box player was pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> Rio, you were the total opposite for me. Um, <laughs> You know, and I've told <laughs> and I don't think Mackie, I don't think you know this. Like I'm gonna tell everybody right now. And I told Rio uh, for it, at, at our exit interviews, <laughs> right? Now, this is my first time 
doing the whole recruiting thing. I had to do write-ups on every running back and fullback. I had like 30-something guys I'm doing write-ups on. And I had to grade them and everything. And, and I get to Rio, and I see this big kid out here. And then I see him get beat by a smaller guy, like get pushed back. I'm like, what the hell is that? And then I see him run down the field, and I'm like, this can't be true, right? <laughs> I'm, wa- I'm watching everybody, right? And I'm, I'm, I'm doing a lot of guys. And G-Roy one day goes, what do you think about this uh, Mario Villamazar uh, guy? I said, no. He goes, he goes, really? He goes, I kind of like him. I said, I said, no. I said, dude. I, said, I was like, one, he doesn't have the foot speed to be a pro. He can't be a pro with his foot speed. And two, he gets beat by smaller guys. And because I'd seen a part of his tape, because we don't look at highlight films. Yeah. We look at tape. So I look at part of his tape and I'm seeing like, Okay, on this one, he destroys a guy, but on this one, he's getting beat by a smaller guy in front of him. And I didn't know if it was just effort or if it was just the ability. And I really like this one kid out of Queens who is like five foot eight. And he is an animal. And I was like, this is the guy. And they're like, dude, we're not drafting a five foot eight fullback. <laughs> like, no, this is the guy. I still think that guy's going to, he could be really good. Uh, but and he was slower too. But I mean, as far as just his mentality. But then uh, Jarius calls me on draft night. I'm in Minnesota. Uh, I'm going to the Garth Brooks concert. Uh, <laughs> I'm in Minnesota. Nice. It's like, it like the night before the Garth Brooks concert. I'm out having drinks with some um, with some friends. One of the doctors I know that was there doing a uh, doing this convention. And, and things like that that I got to speak at. And Jarius calls me, he goes, who the hell is uh, Mario uh, Villa Bazaar? Like, Villa Villa, who is this? He goes, did you have him on your list? I said, I said, Jarius, why are you asking me these questions? I've been drinking, I'm out, I'm having a good time. He goes, we just drafted him. I said, drafted him? We drafted Mario? <laughs> I walk back in. I walk back in. No lie. I walk back in. I sit down. I look at my wife and, and look at uh, the people I'm with. And I look at him. I go, if this guy steps on the field next year, I'm losing my job. <laughs> and I was like so terrified. But then through the process, though, I talked to Mario. Um, and everything after the next night, I called you right before I went to the Garth Brooks concert and, and we talked and, you know, it was one of those things I got a great feeling from him, but when you showed up to training camp, I tell you what, one of the biggest things is that you can never measure someone's heart or their mind, right? The determination that you came to training camp with to learn, to apply. It's like, I could tell you something once and you go apply it. And I was like, Ooh, that's special. Cause a lot of people can't do it. A lot of people can't hear something one time and then go and do it. Like we could work on one thing once and then you go apply it and get it done. And through that whole process of training camp, like after day two, I looked at Clay and I was like, we got a player, right? And I said, with these two right here, we got a player. 
And as we kept building and building and building and Mackie, your knee started hurting. I was like, man, let's get Mario in to relieve Mackie some. It doesn't have to just be all Mackie. Um, let's, let's start using Mario more. Even when you decided to have your surgery, Mac, uh, they came to me, Ed and Clay, and said, um, we got a couple guys we want you to look at we can bring in uh, to start. And I said, no, I think Rio's ready. And, Unreal. Right. And I went to war for Appreciate you. That, we didn't bring anybody else in. Um, the first play, he's supposed to crack the end. He falls down. <laughs> oh, my <laughs> Marcus Howell looks Clay. Marcus and Clay look at me. Marcus looks over at me. Clay looks at me. He goes, oh. He goes, did he fall down? I said, it's all right. It's all right. Hey, still made the block. Still made the block. Right, man. I come off, and Nick just does this. Nick does it. He takes and passes it over to me. What the fuck are you doing? Going out there, falling on your face. You have one play. I'm like. Uh, I'm never playing again, man. <laughs> I mean, I understood, right. I understood the immense amount of I just vouched for you, and I was good. I'm good. Everybody makes mistakes, yeah. but then everybody else is like, "Okay, we need to see him play at a certain level, or we're going to bring somebody else in." You know, with yeah. the pros, it's always about bringing somebody in, and and that's oh, one of those absolutely. things, man. You you rebounded well. Uh, I don't think you played as much the next week. Um, because of some of the doubts, but you you practiced really well and you started building in practice. And then that next game, you came out and started smashing people. And oh, yeah. they started finding ways yeah. to get you in the game more. And so that's one of the more special things for me is just see the growth of where you were. And two, when I talk about this, it was my ignorance because I've never scouted CIS players before. I never knew that guys didn't get the proper coaching like Jamel on blocking. Jamel yep. blocked great last year. We go to practice I, drills. Jamel's blocking great. I had, I had a running. I had a running back coach all through university, but I never had a full expert tight end coach. I never any any blocking or any anything that I did that way or anything that I learned was learned through the O line coach. Yeah, never had a running back coach. Never had a fullback. I mean, I think Mackie can attest to that too. I think a lot of the time we spent, we spent with just the O line, and that's why that's why I block like an O lineman, right? Yeah. <laughs> when and that's one like, of the things. It's like you're bigger. Day, I, I block straight up like an lineman. Yep, you're bigger. You stand up. You lose your leverage, but then you start when you drive people, man. You can like you're strong. You do things, but to me, it was my ignorance on understanding that you look at what they can become and not what they are, right? right? Like I trusted in, I trusted in my ability to say, okay, I know who Mario is, but this we need to improve, right? We need to improve the foot speed. We need to improve this, this, and this, and the technique, but then everything else is the heart and the effort. And he brought it to it, man. And I told him on our exit interview, I said, I don't think I've been more proud of anything in my, in this year than the ability to see you where you started this year and where you finished this year. And that was, uh, Appreciate that, that was Nick. awesome. That was awesome. I know it's, uh, Oh man, 2019 was a time. <laughs> we didn't, Best we didn't year. Win. I, I'm not, I'm not gonna lie to the fellas. When, back I group. Sitting, when I was sitting there at home and you guys won five in a row after I went home, I was like, was I the problem? <laughs> it was a fullback. <laughs> I, like, 
I'm sitting. I'm telling. You I'm need telling a fresh player, man. man. Oh, I said. I swear to God, if these guys make the playoffs, I am getting on a bus and crutching to wherever they are. <laughs> and I am watching because I I was irate. I was like, I'm gonna be pissed. I get no playoff check. <laughs> I think if Mike doesn't break his wrist, I think we do get playoffs. Oh, I know. Yeah. I'm sitting there. I'm like, I'm fired up and pissed off at the same time. I'm like smashing the TV with my crutch. <laughs> it was, um, you know, it was an interesting year of how everything went down. But I truly believe, like, especially our room, like one of the proudest moments for me was the last day. Ed said, great job to every running back and fullback. He talked about Mac. He talked about Mario. He talked about John. He talked about Jamel. He talked about Rutt. He talked about Wayne. Right. Out of all the other groups, like for me to sit there and hear such positive from the GM about this whole group, not about one person, not about John's first thousand, not about uh, just somebody having success, but the whole group as a whole and how we perform week in, week out. Because you can go look at all the film and you will see every week we showed up. And I think that's the most important part. Yep. I don't think. Yeah. And considering we were kind of like, especially Rio and I, it's like we didn't know where to spend time. We were the whole line one day, and then we missed the pass install, and then we missed the pass blitz, uh, pass, you know, or blitz pickup because we were learning routes. And so it was just trial by fire every day. It's like, oh, yeah, yeah how do we try to learn it all? But it's like, I think that just attests the time that we put in as a room, just learning it all. And then, you know, we had our fun too, so. And, and Mac, you were in a you were in a leadership role in your second season. How was that? Yeah, it was cool. Like that is my fire, baby. And thing, and I remember we were uh, the night after the second preseason game. We, as running back group, were so fired up about what was you know coming in the season around the corner. We we go out and we had a hell of a time downtown and I'm expecting to show up the next day with the classic. Hey guys, we're practicing at nine. Welcome to the team. And then go home and sleep. Yeah. And they announced that I was the team captain. And then I get voted in as a PA rep. And I'm just, I'm sitting there. So <laughs> <hungover>. <laughs> I was like, Holy he's drinking his coffee like this. I've got the shakes. But no, it was it was cool, and I think it was trust, to get the trust from everyone, from the coaching staff, management, and then the players around me. And I didn't even feel like I was in my second year. I feel I was surrounded with great leaders in my first year, like Roly and Sully and Travis Lule, um, and and guys that led such an amazing locker room. That in 2019 we had such a different mosaic from guys all over the league. Right, that had pieced together for that 19 team once uh, once Mike came in, and I felt that just because I was in the locker room just one year longer, and I had connections with everyone in the building. And, but at the same time, everyone on that coaching staff was new. That was your first year as a coach, and Clay's first year, and Taylor's first year. And I think it was cool to just have a great training camp, get a starting role in the league, and then just getting trusted with that leadership role. I, I, I don't know, you know, I owe it all. I'll, a lot to the coaches that we had. And uh, I think it's cool. And I'm definitely looking forward to going, whether that's back to BC after free agency or somewhere else. And I think I'm going to carry that same energy wherever I go. And I'm, uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. 
Yeah, moving forward, what's next, man? Like, what's the process now? I know you prepared for a season. Like, usually you take a couple months off to heal. You go back and prepare for the next season. And I'll start with you, Matt. You're coming off of surgery, rehab, prepare for the season. Now, is there a plan to take some time off, like a month or two away, to just do, like, light workouts? And then before you get back into that, get ready for the season next year, or what's what's the next couple months look like for you? So, uh, no light work. Like I think the lightest work was during quarantine. <laughs> I, was, I was I was stuck in my my shed, my backyard. I had no gym access, and so that was the light work. But I got to focus on all the little weaknesses that I had, whether that was postural control with previous shoulder issues, uh, different balance work and jump work and sprint work that. My knee was just that last little bit. But the longer I play this game, it's going to be harder and harder to strength train. So the stronger I can be now, it's inevitably going to start to decline. Yes, whether that's through injuries. And so if I can be as mobile as ever and as strong as ever now, why would I not? If I can add even five to 10 pounds on a max lift, whether that's an Olympic lift, a squat, a pole, a bench, whatever it is, and I can also gain strength through range motion. Why would I waste these three months that I wouldn't normally have to take it easy? And sure, would I have more time for professional de- development? Maybe. But at the same time, I can get all that work in and still grow all my own clients and all my own sporting teams and all the work as a sports performance coach. And I just don't I, – I don't believe in the light work because – what's going to keep me motivated to keep going and keep that competitive drive is going to be working hard. If I take time off, you start finding other ways to pass your time and it almost goes slower. When I think about, okay, what's my big workout tomorrow and the day after that and the week after that, and I do all my own programming. So I can, I know exactly what's coming around the corner. I have everything mapped out up until May of next year. So there's no guessing game, right? Everything I know is lined up in front of me and obviously professional development in my own career outside of football there's obviously guessing games with that with COVID and everything like that. But yeah. if I see one thing constant from now until February when I'm a free agent, but it doesn't matter where I sign, yeah. I'm going to be just as ready come May. So why not just have these next, you know, seven months lined up. So then it doesn't matter where I'm at, whatever my professional goals are outside of football, I can have something constant to get ready. That's it. What about you, Rio? the exact way i mean when else are we gonna get an extra eight months to train right these these next or the last eight months have been huge anything like from deficiencies or imbalances that i've had i've been able to attack and i was able to lean out a little bit more i mean i was i was a little chubby going in my first year so just having a body position i've proven that i can start in the cfl so now it's really doing a push and getting big bigger faster stronger so that i can not just start six games, I twenty two games or start twelve games or from there, you know what I mean? Yeah. Putting upon what uh what I finished last year and just and just having that extra year is gonna be huge. I mean, like like you said, there's no no real time for easy work for us. You've you've met us. We we like we like getting our hands dirty, getting in there, fucking working hard, doing everything we have to do to, to win, right? And to be the yep. best that we can be. So continuing to attack for the next eight months and Hopefully 2021 comes and we, we're ready and firing and rolling, man. What would you say, Rio, is the biggest difference from you training from your first year to training for this season? 
that you just had. So like pre-COVID, you're training to get ready for this season. What was the biggest difference for you physically and mentally of attacking Go. your training? So like going into my first season, going into now? Yeah. Or going into the second season, like not now going forward, but going into the second season, like what was the mindset and the difference of the training going into your second season, which is gone now? Uh, I would say it, it, I'm training hard, but I'm also training smart. Yeah. Um, I find last year, like going into my first year, I was just lift as heavy as I can, do as much as I can at all times. And a lot of the time that doesn't end up being good for you, I want to say. You end up risking the risking injuries, risking that, risking a lot of different things. Uh, right now, obviously, attacking, attacking my workouts, but being smart with it. So yeah. I know... No, I'm just gonna have to now it's just better. Um, yeah. I knew I was big enough before. Now it's just eating properly and having uh, like having a proper body composition. So just just small, small little tweaks here and there to like my workout and how I'm eating, but not that big of a, a change. I don't I don't I don't think I mean I'm working just as hard. Just how I'm going about it is a little bit different, I wanna say. Man, well I appreciate you guys coming on here to share some laughs. And, and some jokes and, and some stories. It's been really fun. Uh, good luck to both of you moving forward. You know, one of the biggest things about my career that I understood was the rest is just as important as the action, right? So being able to get that rest in, being able to allow your body to recover because you beat your body up so much on the field, it's hard to continue to beat your body up because sometimes it just needs rest. You know, I've seen players go out and have a bad day and they're like, well, why did I have a bad day? I'm like, well, you probably just need to rest, you know. <laughs> but we trained so hard to be the best and we train, 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 because that's what we know. You know, keep doing what you're doing. Make sure you're getting that rest. Make sure you're pampering yourself, rewarding yourself, and, you know, keep being great men of the community, but also keep being great, great men of faith and moving forward. So I, I appreciate, appreciate you guys. Uh, before we go, yeah, man, I appreciate you having us on. It was awesome. Before we go, uh, we'll start with you, Dave. Let people know how they can uh, follow you on if you're on Instagram or anything, or how they can get a workout or whatever from you. So you can hit me up on Instagram, just d underscore Mackey. Uh, if you have any questions, whether that's mentorship, workout, health, fitness, leadership, mentorship. Uh, life coaching, uh, or you can contact me at MackieMindset at gmail.com. Uh, that way you can inquire about different business opportunities or the same thing, just those same questions. If you just have, you know, everything goes, everyone goes through different struggles at different times in life. And I've been fortunate enough to go through different struggles at a very young age, whether that's financially, uh, family illness, but also got to start my own business in my own career outside of football. And most importantly, I get an opportunity to play pro football at the same time. I've met a lot of different people and uh, I feel I can help a lot of different people in, in different journeys. So you can reach out to me, D underscore Mackie on Instagram or Mackie Mindset at gmail.com. Awesome. Rio. I'm not as cool as that. I mean, you can just reach me <laughs> at uh, Mario <laughs> double underscore on Instagram. I mean, same thing as Mac. I mean, I'm not going to give you workouts. I'm not a mentor or anything like that. Like I don't have my brand or anything like that. That is cool. 
but uh yeah just shoot me a message shoot me shoot me a follow whatever i'll shoot you a follow back pretty simple hey women steer clear <laughs> absolutely clear the stash <laughs> Awesome. I appreciate you. Is over. I appreciate you, boys. <laughs> and that's another hey, episode. I told, I told Nick to get rid of. What? Nick got to get rid of the, the goat, man. No, I got to. He's got to bring just a stat. I keep it. You, keep, I did no. that one year. Look at that. Look at that. If I had just a stash, I did that one year. I, I, went, as, I went as Hulk Hogan. It was a Halloween thing. So it was November, Halloween was right there together. So I just went with the long. Stash, see, look at that. Like, if I didn't have the goatee, it'd be like that. No, what's wrong with that? That's great, macho, yeah. macho man. I want to be <laughs> all right. This is another episode of Lulu Logic Podcast, and we are out. <laughs>